Meanwhile, at the DC Nation, we are Night's <laughs> Entertainment. Here the world, reason for the world. None of the Robins ever complain. You're going to melt just like a cheap sandwich. And show you just how powerful I really am. Hey everybody, it's Nico and welcome to Across the Airways DC Nation, the podcast dedicated to reviewing all the amazing content DC Comics provides to you as its fans, most notably focusing on the TV shows Gotham, The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, and DC Legends of Tomorrow. And with me is my co-host... Hey everyone, Michael here. On this week's episode, Nico and I wrap up our coverage of the fall 2016 television season with the mid-season finale episodes of The Flash, Arrow, and DC's Legends of Tomorrow. But before we get into that, we're going to kick things off with the news with Nico DC headline. Suicide Squad gets a hilarious, honest trailer. Suicide Squad was one of the most hotly anticipated DC films of the year. Long before it came out, we were privy to photos of the DCEU's version of fan favorites like Harley Quinn and the Joker. But when the film actually did hit theaters, we all came back with some mixed reviews. Some people loved it, but there were several fans that felt like the movie didn't live up to the expectations. That is a very nice way of saying it sucked. Regardless of what you thought, I think we can all agree that nobody knows how to take our favorite films to task better and more hilariously than the evil geniuses at Screen Junkies who bring us honest trailers and their take on Suicide Squad is nothing short of perfect. The trailer talks about the well-publicized, troubling journey that the film had making its way to movie theaters, its derivative, uninspired storytelling, as well as the anticlimactic amounts of the Joker in the film and that weird purring thing he kept doing. Watch this. You will definitely enjoy it more than that piece of crap that was released in theaters. The Flash will introduce Gypsy later this season. The mid-season finale of The Flash left an ominous fate hanging over the heads of at least one member of Team Flash. But the good news is that there's a new heroine coming to the show later this season, Gypsy. The Flash star Carlos Valdez revealed the upcoming introduction of Gypsy during a new installment of the CW's Fan Feast. He's quoted as saying, There's going to be a new visitor to our world named Gypsy. DC comic fans will be familiar with Gypsy. She is going to be coming in our world and vibe will definitely get to learn some new skills as part of getting to know her so i'm excited to see how that plays out as carlos said in dc's comic book universe gypsy is cindy reynolds and she had the power to create illusion and to make herself invisible she also shared a history with vibe as a member of the infamous justice league detroit from the 80s when dc was attempting to revamp the justice league with several original characters which were not immediately embraced by the fans the arrowverse has already done a lot to rehabilitate Vibe's image, and it's even offered up two new versions of Vixen. While Gypsy joined both of her teammates on the Justice League Unlimited animated series, she could certainly use a revamp as well. In the New 52 continuity, Gypsy is a runaway from another dimension, and she was tied even more closely to Vibe, which may be why Valdez indicated that his character, Cisco Ramon, will be interacting with her on the show. While the natural assumption is that Gypsy may be a love interest to Cisco, she could just as easily 
simply be a good friend or surrogate sister for him as well. Either way, it's nice to see another superheroine coming to the Flash. The CW hasn't announced who has been cast in the role, but we will probably find out early in 2017. DC Comics Powerless Lands premiere date. DC Comics Realm on television is about to expand. They already have shows on the CW and Fox, and now they're going to add NBC to the mix with the debut of Powerless. We've spent plenty of time with superheroes in DC comic books TV series, so how about hanging with some ordinary folks in the super-powered world with NBC's new sitcom Powerless? The comedy will premiere on NBC on February 12th. Now, I hope this is an actual hit. I love Alan Tudyk, Ron Funch, and Danny Pudi, so I'm rooting for them to succeed. I'm a little hesitant about this show, but we'll give it a try and see what it looks like. And that's the news with Nico, DC headlines for this week. All right, as Michael said, we don't have Gotham or Supergirl this week, as both of those wrapped up their fall seasons last week. And instead, we're going to start off with the mid-season finale of The Flash, entitled The Present. My name is Barry Allen. I am the fastest man alive. Barry goes to Earth-3 to get advice from Jay Garrick on how to stop Savitar. Wally wants to help Barry fight Savitar and reveals that he's been training with HR, which does not go over well with Barry. Meanwhile, old wounds are reopened when Cisco faces his first Christmas without his brother Dante. This week's episode was the fall finale, and often shows make these episodes the Christmas episode as well, and Flash was no exception this year. Because this week's episode was so Christmas heavy, I couldn't help but notice the very Dickensian themes and motifs in this story. Story arc. This week's episode was essentially the Flash's nod to Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We got versions of the Ghost of Christmas Past in Cisco's brother Dante, Ghost of Christmas Present via Jay Garrick and his advice on the here and now to Barry, and the future, the grim mass Savitar showing Barry the future. Michael, my question for you is, did you make this connection? Does it work? Or am I just trying too hard for this Christmas Carol illusion? No, it definitely works, Nico. I mean, I can see the theme clearly now that you spelled it out. In fact, this episode on some level reminded me a lot of the Arrow season two episode and the mid-season finale of that year, Three Ghosts, in which Oliver is poisoned and Barry, his second Arrowverse appearance, and has to save him. You know, this would cause Oliver to see ghosts of those who he loves, such as Shadow First, his past love, Tommy Merlin, his semi-present best friend, and Slade Wilson, his really soon future adversary. I thought this week's Flash mirrored that really well, and I've always loved the Christmas episodes, and I've always loved that we've had the mid-season finales for most of our Arrowverse shows as those Christmas episodes, and we've kind of wrapped that all together. That, I think, has always been a pretty concept. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't remembered the Arrow episode until you mentioned it, so it appears that the Arrowverse really likes to allude to a Dickensian A Christmas Carol on these sto- series. But you know what? I'm not complaining because I thought both of those episodes, the one you mentioned and this one this week, were very well done. So yeah, absolutely. Yes. Now, we've talked about Julian being a too obvious choice for alchemy many times. And I can't remember if it was you or one of the many theories I read about this season online. But I'm just going to go ahead and assume it was you that came up with it, Michael, and give you all the credit for calling the idea that Julian would be alchemy but not know it. I thought how they handled this concept this week was brilliant and it totally validates going out and getting an actor of Tom Felton's quality to play this part. Starting with a flashback to the Indus Valley four years ago, we learned how Julian became linked to Savitar, the first meta with speed, and took on the role of his herald, Dr. Alchemy. Starting the episode like this was awesome. Not only because it utilized my favorite storytelling technique, flashback 
flashbacks. It gave us the much needed backstory of Julian. We and Barry had been missing since his introduction in the premiere or second episode of the season. However, the shocking reveal in this episode when Barry discovers Julian's secret after enlisting Jay's services to help him stop the diabolical duel was not all that shocking considering we as the audience had seen this reveal two episodes ago and in the previously on Flash section not 10 minutes before. Michael, I gotta ask, did you like the way they handled the Julian being alchemy but not really being alchemy and rather just a vessel inhabited by Savitar? Also, now that Barry has revealed himself to Julian, much like we theorized earlier in the season, do you think he'll become a part of Team Flash? He seemed to be getting awful cozy with Caitlin at the end of the episode, or will he merely be a friend that knows his secret and helps him hide his absences at work? Yeah, I really like the way that Julian was handled this week, actually, and the idea that both he and Savitar were actually alchemy really worked for me because it was very different than anything I think we've seen before on this show. As for Julian joining Team Flash, I mean, he seems to be an ally of the team for sure, so I think he'll be able to help in the future, especially in regards to what you said about explaining Barry's absences at work. But as for becoming a full-fledged member of Team Flash, only time will really tell at this point. I still hold on to the notion that if Caitlin ever does turn into Killer Frost again, now that those two kind of have a connection in and of themselves, that he could potentially take her place on the team until she's restored as a member of the team, or unless she isn't restored. I, th- I think that's best possibility in terms of that. Yeah, that was really what I was wondering, is if you thought it would be a good idea to make him a member of the team, or if there was even a place. Because I was kind of on the fence, because I, I love Tom Felton as an actor, and Julian as a friend could be fun to see, but is it good for the overall story if he joins the team? I mean, that's where I'm not sure. We mentioned a few weeks ago that we both thought that Star Labs was already getting way too crowded, so maybe having Julian just as a friend and ally in the police department and crime lab would be the better way to go. But, like you just mentioned, if Caitlin goes dark and ends up leaving the team or being a villain or something of that nature, there might be a spot for him on the team at Star Labs and he could fill some of the role that Caitlin is filling. He's not a doctor, but he does have some scientific background. It's not a perfect fit, but it at least makes a little bit more sense. So, I'm just not sure what they're going to do with him. Yeah, I'm not either. Okay. Our first look at Earth 3 offered an amazing stocking stuffer that many Flash fans have been long wanting. The chance to see John Wesley Shipp battle his former TV arch enemy, Mark Hamill's Trickster. Now, some people have complained that the marketing for this episode made it seem like we'd be getting an actual Trickster episode, or at least much more of him than we did. But what we did get was amazing, and I had no complaints with it. An Earth 3 makeover of Hamill's Trickster makes him appear much more like the Joker than Earth 1's trickster we saw last season. It's worth noting, of course, that the Joker was definitively voiced by Hamill in Batman the Animated Series and virtually every animated and video game project since. Yet the actor's turn on the original Flash series actually predated his Clown Prince of Crime stint, and he clearly incorporated his trickster into his Mr. J, and now his Joker into his Earth 3 trickster. All of which is to say that the brief glimpse we got of him in this episode really takes things full circle. 
circle. I love Mark Hamill and he will forever be Luke Skywalker to me. But I also love that whenever I see the Joker or Trickster, I only think of him as well. Michael, any thoughts on this week's Trickster cameo? Oh my gosh. I was really glad that we got that this week. I didn't know if we were supposed to expect that or not based on the trailer. I, I'm I'm with the fans. I didn't know if we were going to get a full Trickster episode or not. But, you know, being able to see John Wesley's ship as the Flash face off against Mark Hamill as the Trickster once again was so cool. And a great way for the writers to, albeit briefly, honor the past before moving on to the present and the future this week. On some level, Nico, this fits really well with your Christmas Carol theme, with both Ship and Hamill being the original Flash and Trickster actors on the original Flash television series, as mentioned, thus being quote-unquote ghosts of the Flash's past. Yeah, that's a great point, Michael. I had not even thought of that or seen the link to my own theme in the episode, so that's a great point. And speaking of Flash's past, I really enjoyed seeing Jay and Barry working together, but at the same time, it has to break Barry's heart a little to look at Jay and the relationship they are developing a friend and mentor and not think of his dad. We also got the start of the team up we've been waiting for all season with Flash and Kid Flash, or more accurately, Flash and Wally versus Savitar. Of course, Savitar kicked their asses while Cisco was being tempted by visions of his dead brother Dante. The unsung hero of this week's episode, though, I, I would have to say was Caitlin, because only Caitlin's pleading with Cisco to close the box actually saved everyone's lives. Michael, I gotta ask, which of the two team ups was your favorite this week, and are you happy that everyone realized that it it was time for Wally to become Kid Flash and a full member of Team Flash by the end of the episode. And what did you think of the Caitlin and Cisco arcs this week? Yeah, I mean, I de- definitely think that the Barry and Jay being in action together against Avatar was my favorite. That was awesome. I loved it. I mean, especially when Jay had to face Avatar solo. That was crazy. I really liked the Wally and Barry team up as well, but I'll be more excited about that once Wally actually suits up as Kid Flash. And that being said, I'm with you, Nico. It's about damn time. The Caitlin and Cisco arcs this week were really good as well because the two characters actually had their roles somewhat reversed from the Killer Frost episode a few weeks ago, which was an interesting twist that Caitlin even mentions. I'm really glad that Cisco was able to get some closure with his brother Dante and that whole story and I'm really glad that Caitlin was able to be with him at the party at the end of the episode because both of them know what it's like to lose someone and they don't really have much of anyone outside of the team but each other at this point. So that was that was really nice. Yeah, and speaking of that, I've, I've really loved their brother-sister or best friend's relationship on this series. Uh, I mean, basically yes. from the beginning, they've had a strong bond, and two weeks ago we got to see that bond strained a little by the Killer Frost arc. But I'm glad as well to see they are still strong together and best friends, despite what they've been through recently. And I, I know that that's going to be, ultimately, if Caitlin goes dark and goes bad, that either that's going to be what brings her back, or that's what's going to break our hearts the most about that story is seeing that friendship and that bond break so it's good either way it's going to be really good story to see that and it only works because they've done such a great job in setting that up so far in this series now moving on, Jay and Barry then decided to throw the Savitar Stone into the Speed Force, a move which accidentally hurls Barry several months into the future, right around the time of this season's finale, I'm guessing. But he sees Savitar execute Iris before his and his future self's eyes. Luckily, before he succumbs to grief or goes back in time to try and change things, Jay tells him the future hasn't been written yet, and it's always changing, and that he must focus on the present. Introducing the death of Iris, a major turning point in the Bronze Age 1980s Flash comic books, is an interesting move for this series in that it gives her a more integral role for the remainder of the season, even if that's of a MacGuffin. 
At the same time, the show already so defined by Barry's personal losses and the thought of him losing yet another family member to a homicidal maniac or even the potential he could lose someone this way, that weighs heavily on this series we've long been told is a sunnier alternative to the grim goings-on over on the Arrow show. If it weren't for Wally and HR's comedic relief, this would have been a very dark Christmas episode. Michael, are we meant to believe that they are actually going to kill Iris off at the end of this season? This is merely a MacGuffin to move the plot forward until the season finale, right? What are your thoughts on this revelation, and was it the result of Barry trapping and sending Savitar into the Speed Force in this episode that resulted in it, or in the far future, something that he does? Yeah, that's a really good question. That I don't know the answer to. I almost want to think that it's because of what he and Jay just did that that's what happens but I, I honestly I don't know it could be either way easily because of you know what we saw with Thawne back in season one yep. but anyway I mean it seems to me that Barry is going to take Jay's advice and live with Iris in the now and which makes me really happy and this makes me also believe that he's going to do everything in his power to prepare for and avoid that day it's interesting that you bring up Iris's death in comics which didn't really stick either by the way because that actually drove Barry a little crazy in the comics, Thawne actually killed Iris, which caused Barry to, in turn, snap Reverse Flash's neck. Brutal to say the least. Nevertheless, if that's the way the story goes, then the Flash may get as dark as Arrow has at some point, although I really hope that that's the case. Another possibility, and this is just a crackpot theory, is that, like in the comics before Iris's death, Barry and Iris travel to the future and live there for a while together before coming back in the past, maybe even skipping over her supposed death date, kind of like Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles did with Sarah Connor. This would be very interesting because it would force Wally to step up not only as the Kid Flash, but as the only Flash himself. But the real question here is where did Barry really sense Avatar and how long will it be before he gets out? Yeah, Michael, I, I love that theory about Barry and Iris disappearing to the future to live together for a while before returning to the present, possibly after the time she was meant to be killed. And what does that do to the timeline? Will it cause time wraiths to come after them? Will they be able to avoid Savitar or will he find them in any time they are living in? These are all questions that need to be answered in the second half but you know I, I really don't know where they're going to go with that I, I think it's a great idea of what they could be setting up for next season or or the rest of this season but I, I just like I said I, I just don't know for sure but I will ask you if there was anything that we missed in our discussion that you wanted to talk about before we moved on to Arrow. Uh, no I think we just about covered everything. Yeah I think we got some good theories for where things could be going and I'm excited for when it returns in yes. the spring. Uh, with that, we're going to move on to the Arrow midseason finale entitled What We Leave Behind. After Prometheus attacks Curtis, Oliver realizes Prometheus knows all of Team Arrow's secret identities and is planning to come for them one by one. Meanwhile, Felicity and Detective Malone discover a clue that links Prometheus to Oliver's past. So this week we found out who exactly Prometheus was, or possibly maybe, and the interesting thing is, is that his identity hasn't really totally been revealed in that he hasn't actually taken off the vast to tell everybody who he is. Prometheus was created because Oliver, back in season one when he was in the hood, killed a man by the name of Justin 
Justin Claiborne, who was purposely creating a viral epidemic throughout Starling City to cleanse it. As it turns out, Prometheus is very possibly Claiborne's son. At first I was torn because this revelation meant that Prometheus wasn't going to be someone close or personal to Oliver. And as you know, Nico, I really wanted Prometheus to turn out to be Tommy or Malcolm or somebody, maybe even an alternate personality to Vigilante, as you and I talked about at the beginning of the season. But to be honest with you, I'm really glad that this is the direction the writers of Arrow have decided to take it, at least for now. And here's why. Prometheus was created because of Oliver's actions at the beginning of the series. His original identity as a serial killer, regardless of his motives or intentions. Ultimately, Oliver has never paid for those crimes. And yes, murder is still a crime, regardless of whether or not you're doing it for a good reason. Oliver even found out later in the series that not everyone on his father's list was evil, and that some, in fact, were just unwilling pawns or foot soldiers, and that was part of the reason he stopped killing. That and the death of Tommy in the first place. So, flash forward four years later to this season, Oliver is not the Green Arrow, and is a hero in his own right, trying in and out of costume to save Star City without killing. All these years, Prometheus has been growing, developing, mirroring Oliver's five years in hell in order to get strong enough, fast enough, and deadly enough to defeat the one who killed his father and stole his honor. This is someone Oliver could never have seen coming because he never knew he existed. He knew Malcolm existed. He knew Slade existed, Raish, Dark. He knew about all of them before we we met them in these sequential seasons. But he had no idea Prometheus could ever be a possibility. And what a great way to pay tribute to five seasons of Arrow than to create an enemy for Oliver who doesn't matter personally to Oliver, mirroring his nonchalant way he killed his enemies on the list in the early season. Yet to Prometheus, it's completely personal. I think this actually raises the stakes in a way that none of our other theories could have. However, there's always the possibility that Susan Williams, who is possibly in league with Prometheus, is actually Claiborne's child, who we saw in photograph in this episode, and that Prometheus still actually is Tommy. That I'm still holding out for that one. <laughs> what, what were your thoughts this week, Nico, on Prometheus, his possible identity, and what could that mean for the rest of this season? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that Tommy is a likely choice, merely because Colin Donnelly is a little busy these days, and probably not likely to show up here on Arrow for an extended arc. Still, it would be fun if it were. Thus, I think either of your other theories, that it is the son of Claiborne who is hell-bent on revenge and to make Oliver suffer and wish he were dead, or that actually Susan Williams is the child of Claiborne, are legitimate contenders for the truth. But I'm going to actually combine your theories to say that both are the children of Claiborne and are working together to destroy Oliver in both sides of his life. The son has become Prometheus and the daughter has become Susan Williams, investigative reporter, getting close to Oliver romantically to destroy his political life and his personal life while Prometheus destroys his Green Arrow life. This episode sure did that last part for the rest of his team at least. Yeah, I like that theory a lot, Nico. I mean, I guess that makes a lot of sense that they could be twins, but I didn't even think about that. And if that's the case, then the man that she met in the parking garage as just a guy in a suit could potentially be Prometheus's alter ego. True. That's crazy. Well, another huge thing that happened this week was the death of Detective Billy Malone. Now, I was actually beginning to like Billy, and I had hopes that he would play a more integral part in Oliver's mayoral administration as the face of the anti-crime unit that we wanted so badly, Nico, earlier this season. But Prometheus had other plans, and while making Oliver climb the same stairs as he did when he killed Claiborne, Prometheus stages an attack on Oliver by dressing Billy up in his own uniform and puts a weapon in his hand, causing Oliver, on impulse, to kill Billy in cold blood. Honestly, I was wondering what Prometheus's plan was once him and Oliver fought near the end, but the moment I saw fake Prometheus's body go down, I knew it was Billy under the mask. Having Oliver kill the current love of Felicity's life was honestly rough to watch, and I'm really hoping this doesn't throw her back in Oliver's arms. Nico, what did you think of Billy this week and his untimely death, and what will the ramifications on Felicity be, do you think? 
Well, I'm really hoping that the final scene we'll talk about in a moment prevents the whole Oliver and Felicity getting back together part of that. In that scene where Oliver was pursuing Prometheus through the building where he originally killed Claiborne, I love the way they flashed back within the scene to the moment of the season one's timeline while Oliver was proceeding through it in the current time. That almost memory style shot sequence was amazing and some of the best unique storytelling we've seen from this series this season. And I I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really well done. I knew as soon as Prometheus was hit, like you said, Michael, that it it could be none other than Billy under the mask and I was sorely disappointed by this untimely death because I thought he was going to play a much larger part as the public face of the anti-crime unit task force much like you suggested as well Michael I think his death was a missed opportunity for for that great story arc so I'm hoping that the fallout of killing him is worth the loss of story potential in going with him as a much larger part of the series and the face of the ACU I, I just don't know if that's if that's going to be possible if they go a second or third round of Oliver and Felicity I'm going to threaten but probably won't follow through with this but I'm going to threaten to quit watching this show if they bring them back together but I believe what they're probably going to do is make Felicity go super dark and in the process she starts making decisions that are out of character or outside of what she normally would have done and I think she's going to start putting team members of Team Arrow in jeopardy because she's making risky decisions and things that are putting them at danger to try and get revenge on Prometheus. So I think she's going to go dark and really it's going to cause some major problems with Team Arrow, but ultimately, uh, you know, it'll get fixed in the end. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's definitely the way that it should go. And really, I'm with you. I hope that she doesn't fall back into Oliver's arms either because I don't, I'm with you. I might actually not watch if that happens again. I don't know if I just threat, but right. Well, hopefully with what we'll talk about in a moment, there's a reason that that won't happen on Oliver's side. Yes, no, I agree. One more quick thought on that. What if because of Billy's death, we actually see that anti-crime unit story we wanted. We see people in the crime unit rise up because of that and actually take more of an initiative within Oliver's mayoral administration. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I think it's a good way that his death could propel that story that we wanted him to be a part of for sure but it could still bring it up with and maybe adrian chase becomes the face of that as opposed to billy malone yeah absolutely now going off of that both billy and curtis told felicity this week that they have to be true to who they are as people billy in regards to his role as an scpd detective and curtis in his role as mr terrific this caused some tension at home this week between felicity and billy and curtis and paul with paul leaving curtis due to not being able to handle his life as a vigilante nico do you think paul was too harsh on curtis this week or does he have a point mirroring that was what Felicity said to Billy about her having to work with Team Arrow to handle Prometheus a bit hypocritical in contrast to her advice to him to stay out of it? I think Paul has a much better argument and point than Felicity does. Curtis and Paul got married and thus made certain vows to each other and being a vigilante was never a part of that agreement or part of the understanding of their relationship. If Curtis were a cop, soldier, firefighter, EMT, etc., where his job was dangerous and he put his life on the line every day when Curtis and Paul first met, then Paul 
would have known what he was getting into when they started dating and thought about getting married. Also, the same would be true if Curtis had talked to him about becoming a vigilante and he knew what he was getting into. To ask him to stop or threaten to leave because he couldn't take the stress would be unfair to Curtis and unreasonable if he had known what he was doing before they got married. However, as I said, that was not the case in their relationship. Paul thought he was marrying and had been married to a computer geek who worked in a lab. To spring on him that Curtis was in reality a superhero who could die every time he left the house was not part of their agreement, their understanding of each other. I can understand Paul's reasons for leaving. I don't agree with them, but I definitely understand them. I've had a few friends whose marriages have fallen apart because they were soldiers and sailors and their husband and wives did not fully understand the risks and difficulties of being a spouse of a service member. Now, on the other side, though, for Felicity, she doesn't have a leg to stand on in her argument. She was being supremely hypocritical, telling, not asking, Billy to stay out of the Prometheus case. He's a cop. It's not only his job, but his duty and calling in life to follow that case. To tell him not to do that would be like telling him not to breathe. It's an unfair request and not possible. I see the two situations as completely different, and Felicity was wrong on her side. Even if it did end up with Billy dying in the end, she was wrong to ask him to stay out of it. He died as a hero cop, and that's all he ever could have been, and want, you know, probably ever wanted to be. He died doing what he loved and was called to do. So asking him to not do that would have been like asking him, you know, not not to breathe. Like I said, you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I I couldn't have put either of those points in in better perspective than you did. Absolutely. I agree with you 100. Now this week the team also found out that Evelyn, aka Artemis, has been working with Prometheus. Renee apparently thinks it's only been since they found out Oliver was the Hood before he was the Green Arrow, but only time will tell on that front, and I'm not really sure that that's the case. I'm glad that this episode revealed this to Team Arrow, though, because another couple of episodes of Evelyn double-crossing the team due to her dark master would have gotten old really fast with us already knowing her true alliances. Team Arrow has never really had a traitor on their side before, Nico, but what do you think about how it all went down this week? Did it work for you? Did you also think that there should have been more with Evelyn near the end of the episode? I kind of felt like we were left hanging a little bit with that plot arc. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. There should have definitely been more or some explanation of it, but maybe that's what we're going to get when it comes back and we'll we'll figure that out when it comes back. But I also agree that I'm glad that the team found out about her in this episode because your assessment of the situation is spot on. If they had had a few more episodes of her playing the friend and teammate, it would have gotten old pretty fast for us as the viewers. I was hoping that we'd see the triple cross we suggested a few weeks ago about Evelyn doing essentially the Artemis from Young Justice arc, but that seems less likely now. Although she may have had to reveal her double cross to the team in this episode to ensure her undercover status remained legit with Prometheus and only Oliver knows the truth. But I'm guessing with the fallout of this episode with Oliver killing Billy and the rest of the team's lives being nearly destroyed in the episode from Prometheus's actions, it seems unlikely that she'd allow all of that to happen if she was still on Team Arrow but only undercover. I I'm still holding out hope that could eventually be the ultimate reveal at the end of the season, but it's seeming less and less likely at the moment. It would be really cool, but I just don't know if it works anymore. Yeah, I agree, Nico. I still, I'm with you. I still want that to happen because I loved how that worked out on Young Justice with Artemis and Aqualad both triple crossing the light. I thought that was phenomenal and I think Arrow could really pull that off well. I just, I'm with you. I just don't know if that's a possibility anymore unless Oliver made sure that she stayed undercover regardless of what happened. 
happen. Yeah, especially since the light was introduced last season with Damien Dark, or the equivalent of the light was revealed last season, and nothing really ended up happening at the end of the season with that. I mean, they stopped Dark, but not the wider conspiracy. So if Oliver became aware of that and knew that something was coming, and he prepared for that by having Evelyn go out and get trained on her own and make undercover contacts, it could work, but I just don't know if there's enough setup with Evelyn for that to work. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could argue maybe her appearance last season really sparked something, and there was stuff that happened between seasons or even post her episode last year where Oliver and her did some extra training, and we can maybe even see that with flashbacks this year, but that's, I mean, that's up in the air at this point. This week's episode ends with a few different cliffhangers, but before we get into the really big one that we really want to talk about, I do want to mention Diggle's fate as he walks right into a trap, only to be surrounded by a SWAT team of some sorts. One can assume that this is all because of Hermetheus, and now it looks like we're going to see Dig in prison once again. You know, Nico, what, what's going to happen to Diggle? Will Wild Dog and Radman have to break him out? Will Oliver be able to do it again? Or is he going to be too preoccupied or hurting over what he has just done? I, where do you think this is going when we return in a month? Yeah, you know, that was probably the second biggest surprise of the final moments of the episode. I'm, I'm not sure what it means or even who was there to arrest Diggle. They looked like either police or potentially even Argus SWAT. So could it be Argus or the police were tipped off by Prometheus? Yeah, that's probably what it was. Because if they were army, they would have been in ACUs or MP uniforms, not in what looked like Black Tactical, which usually is either SWAT or, in this case, possibly Argus. I just don't know who it was and thus don't know where he's headed. I doubt Oliver can break him out again, and especially not with Lila's help or another Argus mission like they did last time, especially if they are the ones that recaptured him, obviously without Lila's knowledge, of course. But Ragman and Renee would be fun to see them try to break him out, but we may need to see him prove his innocence and in the process be in prison for a few weeks while the rest of the team reels from the fallout of this week's episode and he is somehow able to prove his innocence and, and clear his name. As I said, I, I was really surprised and caught off guard by this development this week, so I don't have a great idea of where it could potentially go. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's possible that you're spot on when you say that he might have to prove his innocence because if he is in prison for a while, then the reveal at the end of this episode would really make sense from the standpoint of someone experienced needing to replace him on the team for a while, which could be very exciting. Yep. So that being said, we're going to get into the big reveal of this week's episode of Arrow, and that is that Laurel Lance is alive. One of the possible ramifications of Flashpoint that you and I had talked about early this season, Nico, was that due to Barry's change of the timeline, instead of Laurel actually dying at the hands of Damien Dark, Oliver actually helped her fake her own death. I know this is something Dan and I talked about over the summer, as well as I believe you guys mentioned it as well at the end of last year. Yep. But my question for you is, Nico, is this the real Diana Laurel Lance from Earth One? Is this actually the Black Canary come back from the dead? Or is Oliver being messed with in some way, maybe by Prometheus, or even like Team Arrow was last week by the Dominators? I, for one, am excited to see what this means for Arrow as a series. And my hope is that Laurel has actually returned and will become the Black Canary once again. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely my hope is that as well, that this is the real Laurel, his true love, somehow back from the dead, possibly due to Flashpoint, possibly as a result of a time aberration from the DC Legends show, something that explains it in a reasonable and believable, I mean, believable within this universe at least, way. From the look on Oliver's face when he saw her, it did not look like he knew she was alive. So it's unlikely that in this version of events post-Flashpoint, Oliver actually helped her fake her death. But maybe someone else did in this post-Flashpoint world. I 
really hope this wasn't some sort of hallucination or side effect from the Dominator's experience or some drugging that the reporter did to him before he left her place. If she is really alive, that is awesome and will surely help solidify the team in the fallout of the events of this week's episode. And it means they can fix the Oliver and Laurel love story and move on from Felicity once and for all. Yeah, I agree. That's the biggest thing for me, I think, is kind of like what we talked about last week with the 100th episode. Really, Oliver and Laurel should have always been together. That was always the intention from the pilot. And that was something we never really saw come to fruition after season two. And I'm really hoping it was talked about last year with Laurel's death, that whole episode 1159, uh, which was fantastic. And I was glad that they brought it up again and brought up that she still loved him. But I, I really hope that there is some resolution because especially after last week, Oliver admitted his love to her, whether or not it was actually her or not didn't matter. So I, I'm with you, Nick. I really hope to her as well. Is there anything else we missed on this week's arrow that you wanted to mention? You know, about the only thing that I think we probably should have talked about a little bit was I really enjoyed seeing Thea back in the field. And if Laurel is indeed back, it would be great if Thea joined the team again as well, especially if we'll be missing Dig and Spartan from for an extended period of time, like we mentioned before. It'd be a good idea to have solid original team members like Black Canary and Red Arrow to help lead the team going up against Prometheus. And and especially if Oliver is not 100%, if he is mentally not there or he's feeling the effects of killing Billy Malone and the guilt is weighing on him or or making his decisions not the best, it would be great to see Laurel take over the team in a sense. Or if that's not the case, then at least Thea and Laurel working together as a team within the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just think it's funny that, it, you know, every time Thea comes back in costume, someone always has to make the joke that she's supposed to be retired, even though we've seen her as Speedy three times this season. Right. I think that's pretty hysterical, but that's just me. All right. That being said, I think we should move on to the midseason finale of DC's Legends of Tomorrow entitled The Chicago Way. The legends travel to 1927 Chicago and quickly realize they have been set up by Eobard Thawne, Damian Dark, and the newest member of the Legion of Doom, Malcolm Merlin. While everyone is trying to fix what they think is the mission, Jax encourages a reluctant Stein to share his secret with the other legends. But Stein is taken captive and Sarah must decide whether to stop the Legion of Doom or save Stein. Meanwhile, Rory gets an unexpected visitor and isn't sure how to handle. The season finale of Legends brings us to the 1920s Chicago, bringing in Al Capone himself to lead the charge. You know, it's funny, Nico, whenever you bring up Chicago to someone, as I often do living in Montana and being from the Windy City myself, there's always a handful of things people immediately mention. Pizza, our sports teams, and Al Capone, usually somewhat in that order. Even though it's been almost 100 years since he was in charge of the city, it never stops people from bringing him up like he's still around. I really liked our visit to the 1920s this week, especially with the old-time mobsters running about and even invading the Wave Rider, which was really interesting and pretty exciting, I thought. Nico, what were your thoughts on this era? Was it exciting for you like it was for Mick, Nate, or Ray? Or did you have another opinion on this week's time setting? You know, I miss Chicago. Having moved around for the last decade and leaving my hometown way back in 2006, I too find that since I'm still an avid fan of the Cubs and Blackhawks, most people that hear I'm from Chicago talk mostly about those teams and of course the best pizza in the world. But not so much about Capone unless we're having a more interesting conversation and less 
the small talk style of talk or they hear, oh, you're from Chicago. First thought, are you a Cubs or Sox fan? Your Blackhawks are pretty good. That kind of stuff. But uh, it takes a little bit longer before we get into the Capone stuff. <laughs> but I have had a couple discussions as well. Anyway, I loved going to Chicago's past this week and the 1920s Chicago was a great stop. Capone Chicago is a great setting, what with all the crime, prohibition, and speakeasies, and everything else. Unfortunately, they didn't do all that much with the setting. Sure, the few scenes with Capone were fun. The liquor truck stick-up with the Tommy gun by Mick and Amaya was pretty awesome. But otherwise, I think they missed an opportunity to really inhabit the 1920s Chicago. The scene in front of the Union Station could have been more integral to the story, or made an allusion to the great scene from Untouchables with the baby carriage in the shootout. I mean, we did see a baby carriage, but maybe that was their attempt to allude to that. But I think we could have had like the actual scene in in that movie with our legends. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm putting too much on it. I mean, there was plenty of great stuff, and I appreciate the effort, but I felt like they didn't inhabit the time frame so much as tell a story that could have been really at any time, minus the Capone and Tommy guns, and threw it on Chicago 1920s rather than in 1920s Chicago, if that makes any sense to you. No, it does. I One of the problems I've always had with the CW shows whenever they go to Chicago is that it never really seems to embody the city. And I, I did definitely feel that way this week to a point. I was glad that that was the setting, of course, obviously, as I stated, but I, I've always felt like they've never really hit mark. I think Supernatural has done this a couple of times back in season one and then again in season nine when they went to Chicago. I just never have felt like they've really embodied what the city is. And that's kind of how I felt a little bit this week. So I, I agree with you a little bit there, Nico. The one thing that really came out of left field for me this week was the weird Nate and Ray sibling rivalry. I never really saw that earlier this season. Maybe I was oblivious to it. And, and I didn't even see it in the crossover last week because it never seemed to mention it. And I was really confused as to why this was a thing. Is it because Nate has powers that Ray is supposed to have? Is it because Ray has the Adam suit back now and they're wrestling for who's the best? I don't know. It just seemed really weird to me for whatever reason. And maybe I have been oblivious this season and just haven't paid attention to it. But it kind of, it just came out of left field for me for whatever reason, Nico. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think that it was trying to be shown as an evolution of what they've been trying to do earlier in the season with like the Shogun episode. And since with Nate becoming a hero and Ray trying to figure out his place on the team, Sans power and a suit. But now that Ray has his suit back, Nate has usurped his place on the team. So Ray and Nate are sort of jockeying for their place on the team where they see themselves fitting in. Ray and Nate are essentially the same character now. Both smart, have a suit, and really were not team sports sort of guys in the past. Sure, Nate has the powers that originally Ray was going to give himself, but if you look at them, they're, they're essentially the same character. So this sibling rivalry is just them being both friends, but also trying to figure out now how they both fit together, work together, and what their roles are on the team. Both seem to want to be leaders, but that's another problem because we already have a leader in Sarah, and eventually when Rip returns, we're going to have yet another leader. So do we really need these two to be fighting to be, you know, the third and fourth leader of the team? Probably not. No. One of my favorite Arrowverse characters, and definitely my favorite villain, is Eobarthon, aka There Was Flash. And while I'm still slightly confused as to what his overall goal is, though with the revelation of the Spirit Destiny this week, having to do with changing history and possibly wiping the Flash from existence, I don't know, maybe that's his plan. His Legion Doom seems to be working together really well. Thawne's best moment from this episode, though, was when he took Stein's place. Normally, this would have been super unexpected for me, except that I immediately recognized the device he 
MCU since signed to take his face. And when he was acting really weird on the Wave Rider, I immediately put two and two together. Nico, was this a surprise to you? I know it was a surprise to a friend I watched it with, even though I kind of spoiled it for him when I paused the episode and told him exactly that device was. <laughs> but did, did you think that the fight between the Legends of Thawne on the Wave Rider was as good as I did? I liked it a lot, especially with the speed gun, but I would have loved to see more as well. But I think that that's coming. What do you think the Legion of Doom's motives for changing history actually are? Well, no, I was not surprised, but it was not because I recognized the device like you did. It was more because of the fact that he had Stein alone, and then when he was rescued, Dark said to Capone that Thawne wanted them to escape, so I knew that he'd either switched places with Martin or had done something to Martin that was going to make him either like mind-controlled or something like that. So, I, I was expecting some sort of a double-cross from Stein. Now, as for the motives of the Legion of Doom, you're correct that the Spear of Destiny means that Thawne wants to rewrite history and reality itself, but do we believe that Thawne is the mastermind and his entire goal is to eliminate the Flash? That, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, that might be Thawne's goal and the reason for him going along with the plan, but is Thawne really the mastermind and boss of this crew? Or is it more likely someone else is working behind the scenes and pulling his strings? That is the question I have, and it will need to be answered in order to figure out what all is going on. In reality, I'm usually pretty much in the dark with this series as to what is coming long term. The other shows, I seem to have at least interesting theories, but not so much on this series. Yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely possible that Thawne is actually working somebody, although he, at the same time, doesn't strike me as someone who would willingly be a lackey, like Malcolm has passed. So I don't I don't know. I, I'm really not sure if he's the leader, if he's the mastermind behind all this, or if there is somebody behind him. And if there is, I'm trying to figure out who that would be. Normally, I'd guess some, someone like Vandal Savage or Rachel Ghoul, but I don't think it's either. Right, right. And the, the only thing, only way that he would be a lackey to this plan is if they offered him, we will give you something if you go back and do this that will allow you to forever defeat your, your enemy, Flash, or wipe him from existence. We will give you the abilities. You'll never know how to do this without our help, but we'll show you how to do it if you help us achieve our goals. And so it's it's a partnership in Fawn's mind, but in reality, they're pulling his strings. Yeah, that's definitely a fair point. That being said, Malcolm, I thought, was a good addition to the Legion of Doom this week. I mean, he kind of sh- just showed up as a part of the team, and I thought that worked very well. I never realized that Malcolm and Sarah haven't actually seen each other, though, since he had Thea kill her early in Season 3 two years ago. And seeing them rematch was a really good way for the White Canary to face her killer. The interesting thing about Malcolm's offer to Sarah, though, is that if she were to have taken his deal, Malcolm would literally have changed the entire Arrowverse. Because without Oliver being on Leon Yu and coming back to be come the Green Arrow, many of the other heroes, most of them actually, would not even exist, and the Arrowverse would be completely different than it is now, kind of like we saw last week with the 100th episode of Arrow. Nico, what were your thoughts on Malcolm this week? Does he work for you as an addition to the Legion of Doom, or would you rather him back on Arrow? And what do you think his motives are for coming back and becoming part of this team? Again, I I don't really know his motives and his desires to reset the Arrowverse other than he could still proceed with the Undertaking and or try to return to power or take another shot at Ra's al Ghul to become the new Ra's again. I mean, I know there are reasons he might want to do all of that, but I don't know what they are or which one of those is driving him right now. And because of that, his inclusion in this plan is still unclear to me, and thus I'm, I'm not sure whether it is a good fit or makes sense. I thought he was great in the episode, don't get me wrong, and more Malcolm Merlin on these shows is always a good thing from a fan's perspective, so I'm good on that front. But I think 
I might have preferred him to return as a villain on Arrow rather than here. Hopefully, though, once we find out why he wants to change history, what his goal and motivations are, then it will make much more sense, and I'll be able to get behind it 100%. Yeah, I agree. I think with a lot of these villains on Legend of Tomorrow, it's always about what really are their goals. Obviously, with Vandal Savage, it was always world domination, but with the Legion of Doom, besides Damian Dark's also desire for world domination, I don't really know what the rest of them want, and I think that's incredibly interesting. The biggest tease this week, though, was Mix seeing Snart at his head the entire episode. You know, I want Captain Cold back so badly, and between him being in the flashbacks on The Flash this year, and now, I, you know, this, I think the Arrowverse writers are just teasing us. Throughout this episode, I was starting to think that due to Cold's presence in Heatwave's head, that Mick would decide to join the Legion of Doom and reclaim his status as a villain. But I'm glad that he decided against that and instead just helped Vixen to see that sometimes they need to bend the rules. Nico, do you think we're actually going to see the real Captain Cold again here in the Arrowverse? In the present, I mean, not just in somebody's head or the past. And where do you think this story between Mick and Maya is going? Could they become an item? What are your thoughts? I too have missed Snart and Captain Cold on this series and on the the Flash series as well. I really enjoyed him as a villain hero last season on this series. And I was hoping with the results of Flashpoint being reset that maybe one of the things that changed was that either Captain Cold never joined the Legends and he'd be a villain on the Flash after that, or even better, that he survived the explosion this time and rather was somehow stranded in time now and the Legends would eventually find him and he'd rejoin the team. Who knows, maybe that is still a possibility, but so far what we've seen of him is merely the writers teasing us as you mentioned. We're not really getting Cold back and that is a shame. Switching gears, as for Mick and Amaya, I think they are friends and as Mick said, one of his only friends. But unfortunately with Ray and Nate seemingly going the buddy-buddy route, that eliminates one of my favorite friendships and odd couple pairings in Mick and Ray. I think they are going the Amaya and Mick route to almost replace that friendship and possibly tease but ultimately never pay off the possibility of a romance between them. Ultimately, I actually think that they'll restore the timeline and save Rex, thus Amaya will go back to him in the end. But I could be wrong. And if they do actually make it go that route, this might in the end push Mick over the edge or back towards being a villain or merely make him want to leave the team. Again, I just don't have a clue where the series seems to be going long term. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair. And even going off of your point about Captain Cold um, being so close to that explosion last season that he could be stranded through time, that's always been my hope is that he is just stranded through time and that the Legends will either find him at some point or someone else will. Maybe the Legion of Doom will find him and, and recruit him maybe later this season. That could be interesting as well. But with that being said, I can't even believe I forgot to mention it in our outline, Nico, but going off of that, Rip Hunter was found this week. Not really found, but we, we now know where he is, and he's essentially George Lucas, which is kind of weird, but also <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. And my question for you is, could this be a, a fail-safe that Rip had Gideon install on the Wave Rider so that if he were ever to be stranded through time, it would wipe his memory or at least lock his memory and put him in an era where he could be found eventually by somebody in the event that something like what happened 
happened at the beginning of the season with the way Ryder exploding and him having to sacrifice himself in the event that that would happen. Yeah, you know, I really like that idea. I think that his memories have been messed with by being stranded in time, and that's why he's making a movie of his life, you know, and he doesn't even realize it. He thinks he's making this masterpiece story of this, you know, this thing that just came to him, this story that just came to him, but in reality, he's creating his life in a movie, and that's hilarious, and it's also really kind of a cool idea. So, I love that idea, and the fact that he has no idea who or what he is, that the hero of his story that he's trying to tell is in fact his real life. That's really a a cool concept. And I want to, I want to him to join the team again, but I kind of want to see a little bit of him in that life and seeing what his ordinary life is like at this point, whether he found someone to spend his life with, whether he is consistently feeling out of place and therefore never makes a commitment or uh, any sort of connection with anyone. It'll be interesting interesting to see how they how they deal with that and i hope we actually do dive into a little bit of that story agreed so that being said nico is there anything else on legends this week that that i didn't mention that you want to cover no you know i think we i think we nailed pretty much everything about it i am looking forward to this returning i was not so much when this season started a true believer in this show it was my least favorite of the Arrowverse, but i think what they've done this season has done a lot of a lot of good work to get me back into enjoying it every week and I feel like it fits more into the rest of the universe maybe more so than the first season did yeah I definitely agree all right with that I think we're going to move on to the closing and essentially this week's reviews effectively wrap up our fall 2016 TV season for DC Nation we'll return in mid-January when the spring 2017 DC Nation TV season begins with episodes of Gotham Supergirl Flash Arrow and DC Legends of Tomorrow and possibly the new sitcom powerless we haven't made a a final decision on that yet i think it might come down to whether or not we like the pilot (laughs) yeah but anyway when that all happens make sure to rejoin us for all of that in the spring but for now and most of the season we're going to roll dan's pre-recorded closing Get at our Across the Airways podcast network website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows available as their own individual programs. Get the iTunes store. Get Google Play store. Guys, for the podcast shows, cut our network. We have the DC Nation podcast located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews popular DC Comics related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast located at Marvelverse podcast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com which reviews Marvel comics related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheirways.com In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheirways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes Core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the mixed radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the podcast.
podcast box app. Got if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace. Got the Windows Marketplace. Got a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Got for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback. Got the TV shows we review. Provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience. Or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at across the airwaves at gmail.com. Again, that's across the airwaves at gmail.com. Comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Got across the airwaves. There's no thought in there. It's just across the airwaves. Join our circle. Got Google Plus. Or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Could get it 773-809-336. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. If you are sending us listener feedback you want us to read. God the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. Okay, so once again, for our ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Aiming, Wu Kim, Joshua Mercury, James Hafel, and Steve Nostro, I'm Nico Reifstead. And I'm Michael J. Petty. And until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. See you guys in a few weeks, and I hope you enjoyed another week of DC television. See ya! Now return to our regularly scheduled program.